0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's always a privilege to gather and uh, with God's people and to open up God's Word because it's a privilege that we have but we never take for granted because there may come a day where we may not gather to read together because there will be a day where we may face a lot more challenges than we have. Now, in a, a 2009 science fiction movie called Knowing, there was an MIT professor by name, John Kosler. who was played by Nicholas Cage. I have his picture right there. He discovered this old piece of paper written by a child 50 years ago. As he looks at the, the numbers, they are just numbers there, he noticed that all the major dates and death tolls of the last 50 years were all accurate, including September 11 attack. And it turns out that this paper also predicts the exact date for the end of the world where everyone else dies. So the movie, Knowing, it circles around events leading up to the destruction of the earth and John's warning falling on deaf ears as he goes around telling people that the end is coming. End times. No, we are never short of movies with end times as a theme. There are a variety of ways the world will end. It could be zombies, virus, natural, supernatural disasters. Now, if you are someone who don't watch movie, um, you you will go to um, places and you will see that there are all kinds of warnings that the world may end if we abuse the earth. If you go to the cloud forest, there gardens by the bay, there's this short um, movie clip called Five Degrees Celsius. Anyone's watched it before? Okay, those who have been there, uh, you can go and watch it. And it's a thought-provoking movie to say how global destructions can arrive by just five degrees more in temperature. Now, there are much that the humans have spoken about regarding end times. But the question is, what about God? How does end times sound like from the lips of God Himself? Today we come to Matthew 24. It's one such passage that speaks about this very topic of end times. In fact, it's actually one of the most difficult passages, not just in Matthew, but in the whole Bible. And I hope you have your Bible with you, because we'll be looking at it together there's a great divide on how this chapter can be understood. Some people argue that Matthew 24, uh, the next page, Matthew 24 is really arguing about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. On the other extreme, people say that this is really about the end time chaos before the final judgment. Still others view that it's between these two. And in this majority of... Um, Views. there will be also people who argue Matthew 24 really is speaking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now as we go into Matthew 24 today, you'll notice that I found it most persuasive that Jesus is speaking both about the events leading up to Jerusalem destruction in AD 70 and the end times where he will return to bring a closure to the world. But as you open up the passage and look at it carefully, you may or may not completely agree with me. You may see the details that I'm giving that you may not fully agree, but what I want to bring out is, in this very challenging passage, the implications are clear. So I'd like you to have your Bible as we look at this very challenging passage, uh, as we dive into what Jesus has to say about end times. So if you have your Bible or, and um, your bulletin, it will be great to have it there. Why don't we pray now and ask God to help us. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we open up Matthew 24, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand the words of our Lord and King Jesus, so that we may rightly understand and respond to Him. All for His glorious return, we pray. Amen. Now friends, just a brief recap of where we have journeyed on. This passage, Matthew 24, comes right in a few days before Jesus will be dead. We have heard of Jesus' confrontation with the religious leaders in the temple, and we have seen from one end, the religious leaders have rejected Jesus and they are already planning to trap and kill Jesus. On the other hand, we have seen Jesus has openly condemned them as treasons and betrayals of God, and they will face judgment. There's no way Jesus is going to get out of Jerusalem in this trip. He has gone in as a one-way ticket. He has condemned the authorities with treason. In fact, Jesus ended his last public teaching in the temple in Matthew 23, uh, speaking about Jerusalem's rejection, and because they rejected Jesus... They will not know him until he returns in his glorious form as the king of the universe. So this is where we pick up in Matthew 24 and look at verse 1 and 2 with me. So as Jesus turns away from the temple, as he walks out and away from the temple, the disciples were just following him behind and they look back and look at the grandeur and the beauty of the temple and they say, what a great temple. But they were snapped by Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in verse, 20, verse 2. Look at it. Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now Jesus' reply that the temple will be totally destroyed, will send chills down the spine of any Jews, and his disciples are Jews, and it sends uh, chills down them because the Jerusalem Temple is the grandest building in the whole Jewish history. You know, it takes decades to make it, and will it really be destroyed? And this is what we know about the temple. The Jerusalem Temple is the the central piece of the whole Jerusalem culture, religion, history. It is like the spiritual White House, Istana, or the spiritual palace that if you were to destroy the temple, you are literally destroying like the White House, or Istana, or the palace of the country, because that is where the king of the spiritual Jerusalem is. That's the presence, the footstool of God. What will happen if the White House, the spiritual White House, or the temple is destroyed? Well, the disciples have been following Jesus for three and a half years, and by now they have believed, In Jesus and what he says, they have trusted in him. But the idea of the temple being destroyed is still overwhelming and so frightening that questions start to come out of their mind, and this is what they respond. Look at verse three. As Jesus was sitting on the mount of olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? and the end of the age. Now, verse 3 looks like our typical Bible study question. We have question 1, but actually there are 3 questions in that uh, 1 questions. So if you have 20 questions in Bible study, normally you have 40. So, so there is this 1 question there that they have, but really he, uh, they ask many things. How many questions are they asking? At first look, it looks like 3, isn't it? Look at it, what, is, what did they ask? When will the destruction of the temple happen? What will be the sign of Jesus' coming, both as king and judge? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Temple, Jesus, the end of the age. But well, if we step into the expectations of the Jews at that time, they are actually just asking one consolidated question. For the Jewish disciples, the utter destruction of the temple is so horrid that it can only mean God's judgment has come. And because Jesus is the Messiah and they acknowledge that and the king, it means that Jesus is the one who will come and bring judgment and usher in the kingdom of God. So they believe the destruction of temple equals to the end of the age, equals to Jesus' return. So the disciples are really asking in verse 3, one consolidated event, when will it happen? How will we know? However, as often by now we should know, Jesus doesn't just answer one question. He gives a lot more than that. And in fact, Jesus revealed that end times is really not a once-off event that so far most people would think at the time. Rather, it is a two-stage event. End times, Jesus reviews, will be a two-stage event. By his death and resurrection, Jesus replace the function of the temple, such that when the temple is destroyed, people realize that indeed... We will not need a new temple. That is the beginning and it will end when Jesus comes back in in his glory with his angels. So the beginning comes with a local judgment of Jerusalem for the rejection of the king. The end will complete with the global judgment of this whole world who also rejects him. So there we have it. End times in the local judgment and you will end with the global judgment. So now having looked at the disciples question and have a picture of how end times actually will look like. It is a good time for you to look at your bulletin and you might find it helpful uh, as you follow on. So if you look at the bulletin, I put the, the, the points up there right at the beginning. One to three, the question or questions. Four to fourteen, Jesus will give the principle of end times, 15 to 25, Jesus will answer the temple destruction. And he goes on to give further principle of end times in 26 28, and then he answers again, 29 31, his return, and we end off asking how do we respond. So that will be a helpful um, outline if you have it open. And with that, let's begin with Jesus' Teachings on the principles of end times. Look at verse four through fourteen as we look at those principles. Now you and me, as we we just look back and think back to history. You know the world has gone through ups and downs, and there are catastrophes and things like that happening. No, when we look back in history, there are generally two ways that we respond when there's a major disaster, like World War One, Two, X, Zach, There's widespread of life-threatening diseases or financial or perhaps climatic meltdowns. When a catastrophe happens, people normally respond two ways. One, people will lose hope and think the end is here and they start talking about end times. The others, they will just keep looking and if there's someone who says they have have the power to save them, they will run towards them and surround these people. And this is how our world has always happened. But listen to what Jesus has to say. Look at verse 5 and 6. Uh, of this passage with me. Jesus says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is to to come. And again, Jesus says, verse 7 to 8, Nations would rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famine and earthquake in various places. All these are the beginning of the pains. So from the time they heard these words in Matthew 24 up to 80, 70, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, as well as for you and me, for the past 2,000 years in history, we have seen this Warning of Jesus repeating itself again and again. Some people like to make all kinds of end time predictions whenever disaster happens. Others will just crowd on anyone who claims to be Messiah, to be Savior, to be Christ. If we just travel back 2,000 years back in the 1st century uh, leading up to the 80-70 AD destruction, AD destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, there were actually rumors of wars and actual wars and famines and earthquakes. Just right, right after Jesus' death in AD 40, there was a Roman emperor called Caligula. He tried to put a statue of himself in Jerusalem, which sparks rumors of wars. And if you have been reading the Bible, in Acts 11, 28, you hear the historical famine in Jerusalem from AD 41 up to AD 54. For years, there were famine and you see, um, Apostle Paul always asking, requesting for financial aid for the Jerusalem, um, Christians because they were in famine. And of course, there were extensive appeal of, for, for that. And then, there were major earthquakes that happened around. In fact, there was one that was so grand and so terrible in AD 61, it ultimately destroyed the city of Pompeii. Or Pompeii. How you would pronounce it, uh, in AD 63. Some of you, if you're going on holidays, you might even have seen the site of this destruction. There's still historical records, right, of how the Jews, they rebelled against Rome and ended with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple itself. There were even architectural or records of things like that. You now, Jesus has really warned these things will happen, but note what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, this is the beginning, not the end. The same goes for us, isn't it, for the last 2,000 years. If you're someone who likes history or like to watch movies, a lot of things come from history um, that we have. We read of wars and famines and earthquakes and the whole variations we watch in movies and hear in the news are just causes of what the world could have ended with. Uh, World wars, diseases, famines, just not zombie apocalypse or... Those things that are a bit of a Marvel comics as well. But these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. They are not the end of birth pain, meaning the arrival of Jesus to complete everything. So while Jesus prepares his followers for what is to come, eighty seventy, 70, he warns his disciples, actually, and us. This is what the warning is. We are not to view end times the way our world views it. Let me say that again. We are not to view end times the way our world views it. War, famines, earthquakes, they are not signs that Jesus will return. If you think that they are. We are not to be deceived by false messiahs who make false claims and offer false promises. Because Jesus' replies actually suggest to them that they will experience this event leading up to the destruction of the temple. But they should not think that this is when Jesus comes back. It is but the beginning of the end times. So the first principle we have now is not to view end times the way our world views it. The next principle comes in from verse 9 to verse 12. If you look at it, Jesus' followers are meant to recognize two things. They are meant to recognize externally there will be lawlessness, there will be oppositions, there will be a test of Christian's faith externally. They are to be prepared for persecution, for hatred, for death. But at the same time, internally, the Christians and disciples of Jesus, they shouldn't be surprised if some are professing Christians who decide to go against Christ himself, who will deny him and betray him and hate God's people. We should not be surprised. False prophets come out from the church to declare that there is another Christ. In fact, we have read of external persecution before AD 70. If you think back to the disciples who were just walking with Jesus, Right after that, there were persecutions. What what do we have in Acts? The first of that 12, uh, 11, was the Apostle James. He was the first to be killed. Then they decide to have um, deacons, and then you have Stephen who gets stoned. And then Peter and the close shape He almost died, but he managed to get out. No, we already read of false teachers that permeates the church. As Paul was writing, watch out for false teachers that comes to you in sheep's clothing. Now this happens before AD 70, and it continues to happen even today. Now Tim Chalice, a, a Christian blogger, he's, he's really great in writing many things. He wrote this great article called The Seven False Teachers in the Church Today. He speaks of today, actually it's been the same for the last seven um, 2,000 years. He speaks of false teachers within the church walls. They are like peddlers, who will peddle errors into the church in the shape and form that best suits your culture. I'm going to show you this seven very briefly, but feel free to read his article if you um, just search Google. He gave this seven different forms of false teachers. The first one he said are the heretics. They're those who teach against the Bible, uh, such as denying virgin birth or that Jesus is not God. You have plenty of that walking the streets today. Another group are called the charlatans. They they are people who use Christianity as a means to get money in their pockets. You get people like that. You get the prophets who claim to be gifted by God to speak prophecies beyond the scriptures. You have the abusers who use their position to take off leadership and take advantage of people. You read of that? It's horrible. Destroyers, another group who use false doctrines to disrupt or to split the church. The ear tickler, you know those that like to tickle your ears? They are those who preach an anti gospel to a church that's packed with people. You love to hear them because they come and they tickle your ear and you feel good. And you go home feeling better than yesterday. And finally, he says, they are the speculators. These are those who are obsessed with novelty, with originality, or speculation. Let me explain what he says. In fact, this is what Chalice wrote. Today, in, as with every age, the speculator they're obsessed about the end times, and somehow his failed prediction destroyed neither himself nor his followers. In fact, recently we saw him obscuring the clear message of Scripture to this search for hidden quotes in Scriptures. You are those that like to just quote something in the Bible and plenty of hidden meanings to that, and people are pay millions. You can read and watch them. Brothers and sisters, watch out for the speculators of end times. There will be all kinds of whispers that come along when the world will end, but we should not be distracted by them. Instead, our focus is to be people who stand firm. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, The one who stands firm to the end we'll be safe. Now what is important when we think about end times is not to find out the day or the hour when Jesus will return, but to focus on standing firm to the end without giving in to the external uh, threats and persecution or the internal lures of false teachings that tickles your ear. Now the third principle about end times is that it will come but it will not be by the Hollywood style. It will not be by disasters. It will not be by sufferings or catastrophes. It will come by the completion of the gospel work. Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now there will be a task that Jesus entrusts his disciples by the time we reach Matthew 28. And Acts the book of Acts reveals how it goes from Jerusalem to the end of their known world. And we know today it continues to the end of our known world. It continues. There is a mission before Jesus returns. Now so even as Jesus' disciples they were asking questions, Jesus does not answer them the way they expect, meaning destruction of the temple equals Jesus return equals to judgment. He gave them the principles and then he moves on to answering his question. That's where he comes to the temple destruction. With that that's where we look from verse fifteen to twenty five. Let me just read verse fifteen for you. In fact you can read it with me if you feel like reading out loud. Verse fifteen. So when you ask when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the Daniel the prophet Daniel let the reader understand. Now, none of my Bible study readers understand. I don't know about yours. Uh, because it's not something that we understand. But when Jesus says that, his readers do understand. Because it's in their history, not in ours. In speaking about temple destruction, Jesus specifically quote the prophet Daniel about an event that the readers knew it was an abomination in their history. It's a scar in their blood or on their skin. Daniel prophesied this back in Daniel 9, 26, 27, a few hundred years before Jesus. Let me read this to you. I put it on screen for you. The anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will come until the end, and desolation has been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Many scholars believed that this event has already happened one to two hundred years before Jesus' time, and the Jews knew it. One to two hundred years before Jesus, there is that great king Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. he ruled in uh, the Philistine area, and in 175 to 64 BC, around that time, now Antiochus was a violent man. And he showed great contempt towards the Israelites who rebelled against him. Eventually, his army stormed in. You can find, if you search for Google, you can find all kinds of paintings of this event. The army was storming in to the Jewish temple. They stopped the Jews who were sacrificing. And they set up right there and then the altar for Zeus. And some say that they sacrifi- he even sacrificed a pig right there in the temple where Jews worshipped God. It's something that no Jews forget. It's an abomination that causes the desolation. But Jesus uses that. And he says in verse 15, Understand this then. When you see this event happening, when foreign powers come in again to destroy Jerusalem and the temple, don't be shocked. But this is what you need to do. Look at verse 16. This is what you do, verse 16. You people in Judea, run. Verse 17 to 18. Do not turn back to get anything. You have no time. Run. Verse 19, it will be a dreadful day. The destruction will happen. So verse 20, pray. Pray that it will not happen on winter or Sabbath. Because you cannot make it. Verse 21, as you are suffering, you will be worse than the previous abomination that causes desolation by the king Antiochus Epiphanes of the 4th then he goes on, Jesus goes on verse 21, he says, For the sake of the elect, let me tell you, God will actually shorten the duration. Otherwise no one will survive. AD 70. And coming back to the principle, in that great distress, people will claim to be Messiah. But Christians, Christians, you do not go after them. They are deceivers. And Jesus rounds up his first answer with verse 25. See, I have told you ahead of time. Now Jesus must literally be answering the question about destruction of the temple in AD 70, otherwise it would be pointless for Jesus to warn them to flee to the mountains if it's end times. Where can you hide from God? Not to flee, uh, or not to take their possession, or to pray uh, for God to shorten the time. What difference will you make to flee or to be pregnant or to be winter or to be shortened if Jesus speaks about the final judgment? He's speaking about the destruction in AD 70. And the instruction of Jesus is specifically talking about what they should do when that happens. And I think they heard it. According to historians, the Christians, the church ran when the destruction happened. In 1st century historian Josephus, he says, when the walls of the city was completely leveled, as did the temple during AD 70's destruction, um, it happened. And according to the 3rd and 4th century historian called Eusebius, he says the first hearers of Jesus' words, they understood what Jesus said and they hid his warning. Eusebius recorded in his account that the Christians in Jerusalem, they did flee from the city when the desolation happens. And they escaped to a town called Pella. So that's history class for us. So while verse 4 and 14 sets the principle of end times that is still relevant to us, 15 to 25 is the actual warning and the historical account For us now, for them is a future account of the destruction of the temple. And then speaking of false messiahs, Jesus further elaborates from verse 26 to 28, saying this. Let me read to us. He says, So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe. For his lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there's a carcass there, the vultures will gather. And to clarify for the disciples in their understanding of end times, which conclude with the return of Messiah, Jesus says, don't be deceived, for when he returns, the Son of Man returns, he returns not in secret, he returns in power and in glory and at that time, whether we are Christians or we are not Christians, whether you believe there's a God or you don't believe in God, doesn't matter because everyone will see the glorious and frightening return of the Son of Man himself. So that's the fourth principle as we come to it, that Jesus' return will be visible to all. Don't bother to wait and look for signs. You will see it and I will see it. With that, Jesus answers now to the second part of the disciples' question on his own return and the end of age. And He continues verse 29. Look at, look at verse 29 with me. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. I just want to pause here as you look at this verse and I want to bring it out actually the most difficult part of verse 4 to verse 31 is the word immediately. The "immediately" is found in verse 29 and there's no one perfect reading of verse 29 immediately. So some people have argued this immediately speaks about temple destruction so He's talking about temple destruction. After all, some people say because this word explains the whole prophecy is about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and still other people just simply leave out the word immediately and uh, let's just delete it and give our own explanation. Now I try very hard to understand this. I don't have a hundred percent convincing reading, but I want to put it out to you my humble attempt of what I think. The phrase "immediately after the distress of those days." Mean, I don't think it means that the end will happen immediately after AD 70 because where we where are we now? We are in 2018. So I don't think it's talking about time in terms of immediate, but I think it's talking about a sequential a sequence of events that once Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed, Jesus can come. Anytime. So the word immediately is not talking about the number of days before Jesus return, but it's referring to the sequence of events, because right after the destruction of the temple, there's nothing left to stop Jesus. Give me, let me give you an example. Imagine you have a student who goes to university. She has studied for 365 times 4, no, I don't know how many days, 4 years of education. She studied hard. She got a first class honors. She got her results. And now the, the invitation comes in. Her graduation is coming in six months' time. Most uni students, they will finish studying, they'll go and work, and then they go for their graduation. But I could say, in that sense, that for this girl, she has finished studying, and she will graduate with first class honors right after she leaves school, or immediately as she leaves and gets a result. In the sense that the immediate is not saying that uh, is tomorrow. But because she already got her results, there's nothing left. The next thing she has is her graduation, which may not be so soon. So when we think about end time, Jesus is possibly saying that after the destruction of the temple AD 70, there's nothing else that will hinder Jesus from coming back. From then, it could be today. What is going to stop him from coming? The return of Jesus and judgment it's the only mountain left for you and me to stand on, for anyone to stand on. And in line in verse 14, it will happen when, Jesus, when God deems the gospel work as accomplished. As we look again at verse 29 to 30, if you come back to it, there are familiar end time languages and judgment languages that has been used in Old Testament. I, I gave you one that you have read together, just not in Joel 2. Let me just read that for us. Job two verse ten and eleven. It sounds like Matthew twenty four twenty nine to thirty. Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the moon the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army, his forces are beyond number, and the mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now such scriptures. Whereas Matthew or Joel, are man to point to the horror of having to face God as your enemy. It's a great warning. You, you do not want to face God as your enemy. Here's the warning. Even the earth, the sun, the moon, the heavens, the stars will give way when God appears to judge. Everything goes silent because what He says changes everything permanently. Throughout two ten, eleven puts it this way, the day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? And so if you are in Matthew twenty four. The declaration of the darkened sun, the lightless moon, the fallen stars, the shaken heavenly bodies, it revealed that it will be a terrible moment for those who are not expecting Jesus to return. His glorious return will reveal judgment on the sinful world. When they see the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, it is but a speck of the global judgment when He comes back in His glory. Nobody wants to be there unprepared. Now dear friends, you and I, in our time, we must never take lightly the judgment that will come at the end of the day. Never to think that you will not come because no one will be prepared. You will not be prepared. I will not be prepared when it comes none of the Jews were prepared at AD 70 neither will we when Christ returns Jesus says in verse 30 that all the peoples of the earth will mourn because if Jesus is not our king he will only be our judge it's a warning for those who reject God those who usurp the power and the glory of God like the Pharisees back in Matthew 23 they speak so loudly to those who persecute God's followers, as mentioned in verse 9, it will be a dreadful day that all these people will not endure. But for those who stand firm, regardless of the noises, those who cling on to Jesus, as mentioned in verse 13, they will be safe. For those who place their hope in Jesus, that dreadful day when Jesus comes, is actually a day of deliverance. Look at verse 31. In that fearful day, Jesus, the King, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and he, they will gather his elect from four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. As Jesus goes through the principles, as he answers their questions, Jesus now gives them instruction on how to behave how to respond. They need discernment. Using one of his favorite tree to illustrate in verse 32-35, this time around Jesus is not hungry so the fig tree is safe. He's walking out, imagine back the same route, the still withered fig tree but now there's another fig tree he says, look at the fig tree and the fig tree is alive. Look at the fig tree. Learn, verse 32, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. The Jews, they recognize the coming of summer based on the twigs, the leaves of fig trees. When the the twigs get tender, the leaves start to come out from the olive trees, of fig trees, They, they know that summer has not arrived, but it is very near. And so in this manner, verse 33, when you see these things, you know that it is near. Right at the door, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So when the disciples of Jesus, they witnessed all those things just a couple of years after Jesus um, ascended. Destruction of temple the principle of the end times occurring. They are to know that the return of Jesus is near. That's why they always, Paul always speaks about Jesus' return is near. Not in terms of time, but in terms of events. It's near. Right at the door. Like the way immediately, the nearness is not counting the seconds or predicting the dates. Like the movie Knowing or any others that we hear. Rather it is the sequence of events. In fact, Jesus cannot mean that the disciples will know the exact day because he says, right, verse 36, look at it, he says, About that day or hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, what you need to know is that, sequentially, it is near. It can be any time after the destruction of the temple. But don't bother to guess. The day or the hour, because not even the angels, not even the Son of man himself knows only the father but this is a lesson that we have not learned for the last 2,000 years even Christians or those who claim to be Christians we have not learned for 2,000 years there are so many who have come to predict right, um, right in the early centuries in eighty five hundred, they claim that Jesus is going to return because they used Noah's Ark to measure the measurement ok Jesus is coming in AD they happen then later, there's this Pope Sylvester II. He he predicts Jesus is going to come at millennium in the year 1000. It didn't happen. He said, ah, we need to add 33 more years. 1000 and 33. Good 33 years old, right? It didn't happen. Then you have this guy called Charles Russell. He was the president of the Watchtower, Jehovah's Jehovah Witness. He calculated Jesus' return in 1874. And then you have Joseph Smith, founder of Mormon's prophesied on february 14 1835 that jesus returned within 56 years then it didn't happen he later claimed this uh, in his doctrine and covenants 130.17 don't need to find out where it is i just read to you he says this i prophesy the name of the lord god let it be written the son of man will not come in the clouds till i am 85 years old but he was murdered at 39 so jesus didn't return Jesus made it clear that the exact day and hour is not for us to predict. Don't bother. In fact, it should not be our focus for his return because it will be like the days of Noah. No one will know when it happens. So why did Jesus answer his disciples this way in so, so much details of Matthew 24? Well, for one thing, his disciples need to know a lot of these things before AD 70 comes. Because when AD 70 comes, they see God's mercy they know what to do they know how to flee they know how to pray as they run out of Jerusalem and look at the temple the Jews are crying out in distress our temple is gone the the Christians as they run out they look Jesus is truly the temple to God the church was strengthened not destroyed they need to know and we need to know for all of us that Jesus sets the principle of end times so that we will not think of end times the way the world thinks. We will stand firm and not be deceived. We will keep preaching the gospel till Jesus returns and when we, we can be very assured, don't bother, when he comes we will all seize it. So what Jesus wants us to do is to live in readiness for his return rather than to predict that. And so with that Matthew 24 ends, with 42 to 51, instructions for believers. Let me just read a little bit of that for us. 42, it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. So Jesus states it clearly, don't expect to know the hour or the day, but what matters is that you are watchful and you are ready. That we are watchful and we are ready. Jonathan Edwards one of my favorite guy. He wrote in his resolution. He he wrote as a young man, things he would re- resolve to do. He he wrote this in his third resolution. He says this: Never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Never to do anything which I'll be afraid to do if it was the last day of my life. Dear friends, I just want to pause here. We're reaching the end. How are you and I doing at this moment? Are we doing things that we'll be afraid if Jesus comes back today before the sun sets? Are there things you and I need to clean up if Jesus comes back before lunchtime? Will we stand and trust in Jesus? Jesus says to the disciples, be prepared. I'm coming soon, be prepared. See, I told you all these things. Have we trusted in Jesus our King? Because if we do, on that frightening day, we have great comfort because the angels will come and sieve us out for himself into the eternal kingdom of God. But those who are not, those who are left, we face our judgment with ourselves. We have nothing to fan us. Is Jesus our King today? Or perhaps we were thinking that we can enjoy sin just a little bit more We'll just enjoy life our way just a little bit more. Jesus says there's no time. There is no time. Are you ready today? If we are, don't worry if Jesus comes today or after we die. We'll be alright. The two servants, Jesus tells this parable that closes it, whose master is away, both of them are entrusted with Responsibilities. One of the servants he's always ready for his master's return. No, he obviously loves his master, he's always busy with the master's things no he he's watchful, but he's not too bothered when the master is. The only difference is he he misses his master, but he wishes back, but he doesn't bother too much when he just gets busy, and wherever the master returns, the master will always find him ready and pleased. There's another servant. He was always looking out the window, wondering when the master will come. When he's not here, let's feast. Let's enjoy stuff. He's very interested when the master comes, not because he's waiting for the master so he knows when to stop and clean up his act. But Jesus says, that servant will never be ready. He'll never be in time to clean up his act. The master will appear before he can realize that he is. Two servants, one both longing and waiting, one loves the master, wanting to see him, but never too bothered the exact date. I pray that we are the first one. I pray that we are all the first one, longing for Jesus' return, hoping that he is sooner than later, but never too bothered because we are always getting ourselves ready to see our King. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Lord Jesus who died for us, who has replaced the temple, who will return to judge the living and the dead. Father, help us not to be overwhelmed when we hear of end times, when we face troubles in our lives help us not to be shaken by external persecution and threats help us not to be leered by false teachings that tickles our ears in the name of Jesus but rather help us to stand firm to the end help us not to be distracted by disasters but focus on proclaiming the gospel help us Father that it's not when Christ returns that's important but rather that we are ready for him whenever He comes. So help us to be ready for our King so that when He comes, we rejoice and we, when we praise Him for who He truly is. For His glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bttc.se